Seasons, greetings, and joyous occasions, listeners, and welcome to the 19th episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and over here, we hope to serve you the grains and gifts of capitalism. Now, I'm sure that a lot of you out there love Christmas, and that you actively participate in the festive mood by setting up your Christmas tree, gathering for meals of close friends or family, or buying and exchanging presents. But how much, in economic terms, do we really love Christmas? And what kind of impact does this love have on the other stakeholders in the Christmas trade, such as the retailers and its employees? In today's episode, we're going to be answering these broad questions by looking into the commercial aspects of Christmas and the economic impact it has on society. Hopefully, by the end of the episode, you come away stuffed like a turkey with economic insights that you can gift as little gifts during your gatherings. Without further ado, let's begin. So, I thought a good place to start would be to look at the cultural Christmas custom of gift-giving and how it all started. Now, the immediate association would be that gift-giving is meant to remind us of the Christian story of how the three wise men gave gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh to the newly born baby Jesus. Indeed, from the point of view of Christianity, we might even see gift-giving as symbolizing the gift that God gave the world more than 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ, who was born on the 25th of December. However, there is much more to the custom of gift-giving than just the religious aspect, and each culture, from Japanese to Mayan to Anglo-Saxon, assigned different meanings to the practice of gift-giving. As Dr. Christine Cray, an anthropology professor at the Rochester Institute of Technology attests, quote, all cultures have different meanings that they attach to gift-giving. Even within cultures, there can be different patterns of gift-giving and different things that they are trying to achieve by gift-giving, end quote. But one feature that runs parallel across the various meanings behind gift-giving is that of reciprocity. And this was first formally discovered by Marcel Mauss, a French anthropologist and sociologist who noted that gift-giving is not uninterested, or in other words, that people don't just give gifts freely and without expectation. This finding corroborates with the work of Dr. Michael Laver, history chair and associate professor at RIT, who notes that the Japanese gift-giving culture usually involves some obligation in return, a somewhat binding into the web of social reciprocity. Dr. Cray's own work with the Yucatec Mayan people of southern Mexico bore similar findings, who notes that, quote, if someone visits your house, you should always give something, even if it's just a little water and there is an expectation that when you visit them, they will return it to you, end quote. Likewise, this feature of reciprocity is also present in the Western version of gift-giving during Christmas through practices such as, you know, the Secret Santa, or even the Naughty Nice Framework, which, which reciprocates gifts with good behavior. Moreover, what's also fascinating is the economic and social history of Christmas gift-giving and particularly how it became the commercial beast it is today. You see, unlike the earlier Christian interpretation, gift-giving was never practiced at Christmas before the 19th century. Back then, gift-giving was associated with a completely different December holiday, St. Nicholas Day, which commemorates St. Nicholas of Myra, a real-life 4th century Byzantine monk who was incredibly selfless and famously donated gold to poor daughters for their dowry. In fact, Christmas in general looked pretty different back then, 
which is pointed out by historian Stefan Nissenbaum in his book, The Battle for Christmas, when he notes how prior to the 19th century, the holiday was celebrated in New York as rituals of quote, social inversion, end quote, where poorer members of society could demand food and drink from the wealthy and celebrate in streets. As urbanization grew rapidly during the first half of the 19th century, the aristocrats were concerned that these street celebrations would become vehicles for protests or riots against employers, and a group of wealthy individuals known as the Knickerbockers would invent a new series of traditions that gradually moved the celebrations from the streets to the home. The practice of gift-giving, as well as an iconic Christmas character, would formally surface when a member of the Knickerbockers, Clement Clark Moore, wrote the enormously popular poem, quote, A Visit from St. Nicholas in 1822. Notably, this push towards an increasingly private Christmas coincided with the ongoing Industrial Revolution. And soon enough, with demand for toys and trinkets surging on the back of a growing urban population, mass-manufactured toys would begin to replace handmade items and large department stores opened up in downtown areas. And by 1867, the holiday present industry was strong enough that the department store Macy's in New York City was able to stay open until midnight on Christmas Eve for the very first time. Christmas commercialism and the custom of gift-giving as we know it today then was officially accepted into Western culture. Now that we've briefly covered the history of Christmas gift-giving, we can now take a closer look at its economic impact. We begin with household spending behaviors and the things that people tend to purchase during Christmas. One benchmark that we can use is provided by Deloitte's 2017 Christmas survey, which looks at the spending plans of about 8,000 UK and European consumers. This survey revealed that there are four major categories that consumers spend on during Christmas, gifts, food and drink, socializing, and travel. In the UK, where average spending is about 614 euros, consumers put 52% into gifts, 10% into travel, 12% into socializing, and 26% into food and drink. On the other hand, the European average is lower at 445 euros and is distributed by 42% into gifts, 17% into travel, 11% in socializing, and 30% into food and drink. This is insightful as the survey picks up other areas that consumers tend to spend on other than gifts. For sure, most would expect that gifts would take up a majority position, but that doesn't mean that spending on food, travel, or socializing is insignificant. However, seeing how the spending composition varies from UK to European consumers, it might not be particularly instructive for how Singaporeans are likely to spend during Christmas. Fortunately, UB recently released their survey results on Singaporean Christmas spending, and this is where things start you know, to get a little bit more interesting. For instance, the survey found that Singaporeans are setting aside an average of $769 Sing dollars for festive shopping, which, is, which amounts to an increase of roughly 8% from the prior year. If you convert this amount to euros at the December 18, 2017 rate of 1 euro to 1.59 Sing dollars, we find that Singaporeans on average spend about 485 euros, which is slightly more than their European counterparts at 445, but less than the UK average of 614. However, since the UBA survey only covers gift shopping, 
What we actually find is that Singaporeans are likely to spend more than their UK and European counterparts, with UK consumers spending on gifts coming at 307 euros and Europeans spending at 222.5 euros. Keep in mind though that this is only a rough comparison since the two surveys may produce different results based on different methodologies, depth of questions, or even the sample population. So, if Singaporeans are likely to spend more on gifts than their UK and European counterparts, what exactly are they spending on? Again, the survey produces some really, really surprising results. As it turns out, Singaporean shoppers love to splurge on their partners, since they have indicated in the UOB survey that they have set aside 298 Sing dollars for gifts, which is a marginal decrease from the $302 spent last year. But what's surprising to me at least is that Singaporean shoppers are willing to spend more on gifts for their business associates, with 317 Sing dollars being budgeted for 2017, a significant increase from the 207 Sing dollars being spent last year. Now this may be reflective of better economic conditions in general for 2017, which translates into Singaporeans showing their appreciation by spending more in gifts for their business partners. And this explanation is certainly helpful in illuminating the next surprising survey result, which is that amongst budgeted gift spending for partners and business associates, Singaporeans are looking to spend the most, or equivalent to an average of 488 Sing dollars, on themselves. And this is a roughly 67% increase from the 292 Sing dollars spent in the prior year. Assuming that Singaporeans will spend more in good economic years and save on bad ones, then it seems like 2017 is turning out to be a pretty good year economically. And let's not forget that this is not in, has not taken into account spending on travel, food, or socializing. Lastly, to wrap up the discussion on consumer spending habits, the UOB survey also included a section on what men and women want for presents versus what men and women plan to give, which could be helpful for those of you who are still looking to buy Christmas presents. According to the survey, the top three things that women want are department store vouchers, chocolates, and perfumes. And men seem to have quite an inkling for this, with 44% intending to purchase chocolates for their partners, while only 16% will opt for department store vouchers. Men, on the other hand, mostly either want a smartphone or shopping vouchers, though women are intending to give their partners chocolates, cologne, or toiletries. Pretty revealing, isn't it? Where in the previous section, we discussed the micro aspects of uh, Christmas commercialism, you know, the spending habits of the individual consumer, now we are going to move on to a broader level discussion about the impact of retail shopping on the economy at large. Firstly, remember how I suggested that the Singapore economy looks to be doing quite well on the back of the UOB survey data? Well, on the broader level, this seems to be the case as well. From data provided by the Department of Statistics and the Economist Intelligence Unit, Singapore's gross domestic product, or GDP, is estimated to come in at 306 billion US dollars for 2017, which translates to a roughly 3% year-on-year growth as compared to 2016's figure of 297 billion US dollars. Since the GDP measures the combined value of all transacted goods and services domestically, this is good news, 
as Singapore is expected to be more productive this year as compared to 2016. As expected, consumers will be looking to spend more in the back of a better economy, which is reflected in how total private consumption is estimated to grow by 2.1% this year compared to just 0.6% in 2016. Moreover, this somewhat optimistic narrative is also seen in the consumer price or inflation figures, with estimated numbers coming in at 0.6% year-on-year growth in 2017, as compared to a 0.5% decrease in both 2016 and 2015. Now, to some of you, this might be a little puzzling. After all, if inflation means an increase in the price of goods and services, isn't this, you know, isn't this supposed to be a bad thing? Well, yes and no. You see, it is difficult to gauge the significance of any inflation figure by itself. For instance, if in a single year inflation goes up by 10%, but nominal wages go up by 15%, this is still a good thing, as consumers have more spending power as compared to the prior year. On the other hand, if inflation goes down by 10% and nominal wages go down by 15%, this is bad, as your wages have decreased more than prices, meaning that your spending power has actually decreased. So, to complete the the picture on inflation that I introduced earlier, in 2017, Singapore is expected to have 0.6% inflation with a 3.2% increase in nominal wages, which will result in an increase in the spending power of consumers, aka real wage growth, of about 2.5%. Seems like a pretty decent economic year, indeed. Naturally, after hearing about some broad-level economic data for Singapore, you must be hungry for more, right? In particular, and in relation to our topic of Christmas commercialism, we're going to be taking a closer look at Singaporean retail sales data. Keeping up with the optimistic economic narrative that I've been telling in this section, retail sales is estimated to come in at 38.8 billion US dollars for 2017, which is a roughly 1.31% increase over the prior year's figure of 38.3 billion USD. As a component of overall GDP, retail sales is estimated to contribute 12.7% in 2017, which is slightly lower than 2016's retail sales contribution of 12.9%. Further, consumer spending reports from the Economist Intelligence Unit, or EIU, suggest that technology and innovation will likely mean that more traditionally physical retailers will be integrating an online presence to their brand, though shopping malls and brick and, and, brick and mortar stores will still play an important part given the convenience of you know, multi-purpose air-conditioned malls as well as the prevalence of retail tourism in Singapore. And indeed, the data does reflect this as e-commerce in Singapore only made up 4.6% of total retail sales in 2016, as compared to 15% in the UK and 10% in the United States. However, seeing how drastically Amazon and e-commerce has shaken the US retail market, we should expect continued investment and innovation from leading Singaporean online retailers such as Lazada, Q10, or EasyBuy which should hopefully bring more convenience and value to consumers in the future. Finally, after going through a bunch of macro data and analysis, we come to the real findings, the sought-after economic impacts of Christmas commercialism. So, what does the data say? Well, most consumers buy their gifts in the latter months of the year, and predictably, this appears to contribute towards a consistent jump 
between the third quarter and fourth quarter retail sales figures annually. In 2016, total retail sales for the fourth quarter was 11.3 billion US dollars as compared to third quarter numbers of 10.6 billion US dollars. This is also similarly seen in 2015, where retail sales increased from 10.4 billion US dollars in the third quarter to 11.2 billion US dollars in the fourth quarter. Likewise, in 2017, we should also expect the retail sales numbers to increase from 10.8 billion US dollars in the third quarter. Also, another area that we can expect to see some impact is in employment, or in particular, temporary or part-time employment as retailers try to meet increasing consumer demand. And the data in this instance is even more pronounced, with there being a consistent decrease in the job vacancy rate from third quarter to fourth quarter annually. For instance, in the third quarter of 2016, it stood at 2.4%, but dropped to 2.2% in the fourth quarter. And in the third quarter of 2015, job vacancy was at 2.4%, but fell to 2.4% in the next quarter. Now, since we are trying to ascertain the seasonal effects of Christmas commercialism, we can get a rough sense of how many people this actually affects by comparing the fourth quarter seasonal versus non-seasonally adjusted figures for resident unemployed persons. In 2016, this seasonal differences in 2016, this seasonal difference amounted to 11,800 more people employed where in 2015, it was about 10,300, and in 2014, it was 9,800. So, it appears that from the data, we can tell that Christmas commercialism does have some impact on the economy through increasing retail sales and employment. However, before we wrap up this section, I would just like to offer some words of caution regarding interpreting statistical data. While we might be tempted to think that these third quarter versus fourth quarter differences might be entirely due to our Christmas shopping, do note that there may be other explanatory factors at play. As with statistics in general, contexts such as methodologies, the sample population, the parameters, and so on are extremely important with regard to whatever conclusions we produce. Lastly, before we finish up this episode and tuck into our ham and turkey dinners, I would like to offer some perspective on the matter of Christmas commercialism. After all, some of you may voice out on the superficiality of gift-giving, or how greedy businesses with their profit motives and early decorations soil the true meaning of Christmas. And to be fair, I think that this is mostly true. But let's not forget that behind every cultural practice are individuals who accept and adopt it, or that behind every faceless corporation are the individuals who are trying to make it by just like you and me. Instead of filling yourself with spite during this festive period, why not take a step back and be grateful for the truly important things in your life, be it the achievements or struggles that you've had during the year, or for the people who add joy and meaning to your existence. I, for one, am grateful for the technologies and services that have enabled me to live the life I have today, or even just to produce this podcast. I too am grateful for the businesses and the entrepreneurs that are hustling and innovating each day so that they can provide problem-solving solutions and value for me and society at large. Last, but most definitely but not least, I am grateful for the system which protects our property rights by rule of law 
and which facilitates the mutual exchange of goods and services, the key foundations upon which individuals such as you and me can flourish and find happiness and meaning in our lives. And with that brings the end to today's episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking it out through the year. It's been quite an experience and I guarantee that there will be bigger and better things to come in the next. Once again, I'm your host Danny at the Economical Rice Podcast where we serve the grains of capitalism. Have a merry, merry Christmas and a wonderful new year. I'll see you again in 2018.